Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. Remember a few weeks ago, we introduced you to a series on this show called The Client? Well, good news. It's back. That's right. Once again, we're talking to a real-life transfer pricing executive, and we're going to hear about what transfer pricing issues, worries, concerns, obligations keep her up at night. Transfer pricing therapy? Maybe a little. I mean, if she wants to unload about any compliance nightmares, paperwork hassles, and audit procedures, well, we're here to listen. As you may know, you can earn CPE credits just for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're going to plant two CPE code words in this episode. Email both, that's two code words, to The Fiona Show, all one word, at xbs.ai, and we'll send you your CPE credits. It's that easy. More good news. Our client series is kicking off with the lovely and talented Katya Ewing from TradeShift Incorporated in San Francisco, California. But before we reveal all the reasons you're going to love Katya and all of the things you're going to learn from her, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Back in 2017, an Australian subsidiary for Chevron was hit with a 255 million U.S. dollar tax bill after a court found that an intercompany loan arrangement violated Australia's transfer pricing rules. In that case, the deductible interest payments between the two entities were too high to be considered arm's length. Well, here it is two years later, and tax evasion from intercompany loans is still high on Australia's priority list. At a mid-August conference, Jeremy Hershorn, second commissioner of client engagement at the Australian Taxation Office, said the authorities are cracking down on tax evasion, particularly through taxpayer profiling, artificial transfer prices, and intercompany loans, which are often used to reap tax benefits. The government has been working away and has already reduced the risk level of related party loans by about 80 billion Australian dollars. Last month, the authorities issued a ruling targeting intercompany loans, stating that companies can't use transfer pricing to manipulate company data in a financial agreement. And he warned multinational companies that Australia's tax office would be on the lookout for intercompany dealings that are not arm's length. Who knows? Maybe Chevron got off easy. Transfer pricing requirements are popping up like weeds in a garden. Take far-flung Lithuania, for example. Back in January, the BEPS 13 holdout introduced official new transfer pricing documentation requirements, which include the adoption of master and local files. The CBC report was already a must. Incidentally, multinational companies with a presence in Lithuania and revenue exceeding 15 million euros, well, better get going on that documentation. It's due the 15th day of the sixth month following the end of the financial year at high tide during a full moon. Okay, maybe not those last two. Low value transactions, you're off the hook. The new regulations apply to transactions conducted in 2019 and onward. And in mid-August, the tax authorities issued a friendly reminder. Okay, full disclosure, we added the friendly part about them with a few new points. No need to worry about the hierarchy for transfer pricing methodology anymore. We know that's been keeping you up at night, but you will have to justify that the method you use is the most appropriate. Oh, and one more thing. You can use mutual agreement procedures to resolve tax disputes. Adios double taxation. The new regulations even tell you how to get the ball rolling. 
Sorry, Apple, but the glory days of Irish tax breaks may be over. In August 2016, the European Commission ordered Ireland to recoup 14.4 billion U.S. dollars plus interest, gulp, from the tech giant, claiming that one of the richest companies in the world was handed an unfair tax advantage. Perhaps surprisingly, Ireland doesn't want to take the money, and less surprisingly, Apple doesn't want to pay it. The company and the commission go to court next month to hash it out. Apple isn't alone in its appeal. The commission has been aggressive about issuing orders for countries to recoup tax dollars since 2015. Remember when it insisted the Netherlands collect from Starbucks? And then when it ordered Luxembourg to go after fiat? We're still waiting on the court's decision about those cases. But Belgium came into some good news last February. When the court agreed that despite the commission's mandate, the EU country did not have to collect 800 million euros in unpaid taxes from various companies, one of which was Anheuser-Busch. Not collecting 800 million euros. Um, congratulations, Belgium. global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Google, Autodesk, Redbubble, TradeShift, Katya Ewing's transfer pricing footprint is all over the digital map. She's overseen transfer pricing documentation, advanced pricing agreements, and permanent establishment issues for a string of multinational companies. She's managed post-merger and acquisition tax integration, intercompany agreements, and transfer pricing compliance. And now at TradeShift, the powerhouse exec is overseeing it all. Transfer pricing, global income tax planning, IP migration. Put it this way, if tax is involved, so is she. But fortunately, she was able to squeeze out a little time for us today. Thanks so much for being here, Katya. Yes, absolutely. No problem. Excellent. So, Katya, where are you from originally? I was born and raised in former Soviet Union. Then I came to U.S., the Bay Area, to marry an American. Young American, we fell in love, so mm -hmm. I uh, stayed, went to school, and, you know, stayed ever since. Interesting. And w when you got to school, just to tap into that uh, for a moment, where you, where you decided you were going to be an international tax accountant, or, or were your dreams a little bit more open-ended? Yeah, so... It's an interesting question because I went to UC Berkeley and I majored in English. Then I also, yeah, relatively soon I realized that I have a uh, inkling for numbers. So I went to business school and double majored in business. And then I ended up in tax, totally happenstance. 
um, I was walking down to my bus stop and I saw a piece of paper in the bushes that says internship tax and legal services at PwC. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I'll go check it out. I've always wanted to, I was curious about law and tax kind of fell into that. So um, that's, you know, after I interned at PwC, they offered me a job in tax and legal services. So I took it. So that's, that's my way into a tax area, tax accounting. Mm. And, and from there, you got into transfer pricing, or was that, that the initial? Did that have to do with transfer pricing right off the bat? No, it hasn't. It, it, it uh, did not. Um, in transfer pricing, I came through Google. I uh. basically was, uh, yeah, I, I was brought in to work on comp- domestic compliance. And, of course, you know, domestic compliance ends up, um, interacting with transfer pricing, and that's the time where I researched and reached out to Crossbutter and hired them initially to set up the first set of transfer pricing studies for Google. Since then, it's kind of organically grew into a more of an engagement for me, transfer pricing in general. Very cool. And what did you find interesting about it, especially finding it at such a, a you know particular place like Google? Well, it's the global nature of it, right? One, two, uh, you get to learn about different countries, countries' laws, and uh, also what interests me in transfer pricing. It allows me to learn and dive deeper um, into understanding how the company works from functional standpoint, from operations, from people and um, products. Um, it all ends up um, in, you know, in transfer pricing analysis. So it's an opportunity to learn and just gain better knowledge. For sure. And you've worked with a lot of multinational companies, Redbubble Incorporated, Google, Autodesk, and now you're at TradeShift. Can you tell us a little bit about the company TradeShift? Sure, sure. So TradeShift is a global business-to-business platform. And we offer, we help people, uh, people customers, businesses uh, in terms of, from the business process standpoint, such, and such processes as invoicing, workflow, supplier financing. So the main product is SaaS, software and service, uh, on the platform. But uh, we are also right now getting into fintech space to enable finances, financing between supplier and customer in the supply chain. Very interesting. And as the head of tax, can you give us a little bit of an idea of your day-to-day at TradeShift? Yeah, well, um, as expected for a startup, I often find myself drinking from a fire hose, pretty much. <laughs> I support yeah, I, I support TradeShift uh, in, in all tax matters, ranging from corporate, regulatory, operational, and product. Um, I, you know, trying to figure out how to charge tax correctly, um, on the product side, as well as heavily transfer pricing, because companies global, we have a lot of service uh, subsidiaries that uh, work for the IP holding entity, so there is a lot of complexities and high exposure. Um, yeah, so longer term, I'm trying to raise management awareness on the importance of tax function and doing tax right the right way. In that way, I know a popular question we like to ask here is, uh, what are your best tips for managing up in those circumstances, especially when you're trying to make management aware of something? Yeah, I think quantifying the risk, the exposures gets their attention real fast. <laughs> and then um, getting support from the peers, like, um, you know, the peers and the advisors. Because um, coming into a company that did not have 
I'm the first person in a text right now, did not have a lot of text expertise, relied on advisors. Um, it's, it's, it's mismanaged and there, the exposures, they are real and they are um, regulatory penalties, like you were aware of transfer pricing issues. And um, so quantifying the issues really gets attention of people fast. How big is your tax department at TradeShift? How much time and staff are allocated for transfer pricing? So it's not big at all. I am alone at this point, and everything's outsourced. So internally, it's just me, but externally, I have a big, you know, quite a substantial number of people working on various tax projects. So transfer pricing historically has not received much attention, love. So that takes a lot of my time, mm. and. Um, yeah, and we have some, some, um, you know, we have some issues that need to be fixed in various countries. So uh, that's why my primary objective was to get uh, engaged to you guys to help us out. And would you say uh, at least managing that volume uh, is more difficult or, or just tell us in the ways uh, in which there are challenges, especially at a startup? Yeah, so... There, before I came in, one, we didn't have consistent benchmarking for all of the entities. Entities were uh, cross-charging different cross-border transactions, whichever way, whichever markups people feel like appropriate. Um, they weren't updated annually, and there were no um, reports. There were no studies at all. So, and there were no intercompany agreements. There was just a mess. Um, so I started consistently by, you know, looking at functional uh, functional analysis, looking at how the company operates, where's IP, and what services it performs. So basically, kind of starting from scratch. Now there were some, you know, earlier studies done, but there was no system, no methodology, no framework. Mm. And just based on even that description, just give us an idea of how that workload interfaces with the uh, countries in which TradeShift has entities. Yeah, so TradeShift is very global. We have uh, currently almost 22 22 entities at this point, grew substantially. And uh, heavy in Europe, we have um, Denmark, France, UK, Norway, Sweden, um, then I have um, Australia, China, Malaysia, and of course there's U.S. Um, IP is, and then there's IP holding entities in British Virgin Islands. From that perspective, there's just a lot of transactions, and what complicates the issue, we weren't really consistent between where cash is sitting, which is at the U.S. because U.S. fundraises, but the um, the other, you know, it's, it's basically all over the board. So I'm fixing everything and um, making sure that everything's consistent with the requirements and the rules, et cetera, et cetera. And what's happening uh, from a transfer pricing perspective in those countries? I know you listed quite a few in the OCD. There are a few outliers. I know Australia. Yeah, so they're, they're basically service subsidiaries. They perform um, research and development and resale activities. Uh, is there a country in particular that you're worried about in, in that set of jurisdictions? I mean, not really. Not not particularly, now. They're all kind of the same. I know some con- countries are more aggressive in terms of their audit approaches. Um, I have heard that Denmark and Sweden are becoming particular aggressive. Um, 
and there are bigger entities. Mm. Just to be compliant and to make sure that I have supportable position. Have you set up any of these entities or have they come before you? With respect to your mergers and acquisitions, have you made recommendations as to where to open in specific jurisdictions? No, it's primarily business driven. So acquisitions, um, yeah, so, you know, business reasons to where they want to acquire for whatever reasons. And then there's other uh, considerations. What are those other considerations for mergers and acquisitions? Well, it depends, like, what are you acquiring for? Are you acquiring for customer base? Or are you acquiring for the product? And what are your long-term plans to, um, you know, partner with the company versus um, learn from it, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you know, just where we've mentioned here that scrutiny has increased. How has your company, your tax department, adjusted to this? So we are more aware of the regulations and paying more attention to them and definitely making sure that documentation is in place because of the, you know, scrutiny and high risk. And just, just out of curiosity, um, you know, we, we always appreciate... Um, you know, having clients on board, but uh, could you articulate how uh, software has made an impact on that process? Oh, you guys uh, made my life a lot easier because I can, you know, you generate the reports faster, you help me to analyze transactions faster. Um, for instance, if, if I am, if my team is scoping out a potential investor, and they want some analysis in a particular country, and I need to say, well, how much is my um, in a company revenue will be? Um, your team is able to provide me benchmarking for a particular transaction relatively quickly, which is invaluable. Without the software, it would take a lot longer. And you know, timing is of a, is of, is of a big concern, and you know, in, in such transactions. So being able to get information more efficiently is very, very uh, helpful. Mm. Uh, we, we try to be moderate in our tooting of our own horn on our own podcast. I will say that. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits penalties and adjustments and our technology is available for one flat fee a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant again apologies big four stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions ai driven transfer pricing software it's no wonder we're the global leader in ai driven tax solutions there we go again i'm so sorry big you know what wait who am i kidding sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp um we've talked a lot on this show uh, just about the difference 
uh, that software and AI really makes. And another point you brought up in uh, what we were discussing about the scrutiny is the uh, difficulty in keeping track of the regulations. And I'm sure you can testify from kind of a before and after perspective that software AI does make a huge difference in that area as well. Yeah, I, I really like how you can flip your domicile. So if I need a study from different country perspective, U.S. versus France, et cetera, right? So you are able to, instead of like redoing and doing manually like the big four would have done historically, I'm not sure what their situation is now, um, that's more automated. And once you take the human, human error, humans out of a, a lot of processes, there's less risk of error. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody... Actually, one of the reference calls that you guys asked me to participate in, and they're saying that one of their concerns was, um, and the real issue is that upon audit from one country, so inconsistent um, report in another country's transfer pricing study because they requested, you know, both sides, and that caused an issue in adjustment. So hopefully, uh, you know, things like that eliminated or minimized. I don't know if you can fully eliminate that. It's still, you know, there's still human elements, but it's less likely to occur. Um, but how many people specifically at Trade Shift work in transfer pricing in the transfer pricing department? No, we don't have a department. We just have one finance department and I'm the only person in tax. Oh. But I get help from, yeah, I get uh, I get help from uh, my finance buddies, uh, teammates. For sure. And I think that's a situation that, that, that speaks to a, a lot of people who are going to tune into this uh especially but um we can't talk uh about talk to you at least about transfer pricing without mentioning google uh, a company that's practically synonymous with transfer pricing scandal and uh that's where as as you mentioned uh, your relationship with cross-border began and i know you worked there uh before many of those tax scandals went public uh, what was the transfer pricing experience like there yeah, well, I joined, they were pre- pretty on on their, um, I guess, evolutionary line. So uh, I, for, for simple for simple uh, services transactions, I used, we used cross-border um, initially. And then I have assisted with um, IRS APA, um, Advanced Pricing Agreement um, work, as well as I was part of the first structure, Irish, you know, the double Irish, Sandwich, Dutch sandwich, uh, which is ingeniously saved them maybe billions of dollars, right? That's a scandal. But I caveat that um, it wasn't, you know, scandal, but it was it was all legal, right? There was a loophole, mm-hmm. and everything was done properly, and um, yeah. So kudos to those attorneys, advisors who figured it out. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, there yeah. are some uh, there are some instances where a transfer pricing medal of honor. Uh, should be awarded, and uh, and I, I think of them as qualified candidates. So did you go through any specific audit experiences at Google or, or any place else that, that can speak to uh, just, you know, your transfer pricing processes and how you handle them? Yeah, so um, at Google, yes, when IRS came, of course, they argued uh, for the cost share and royalty buy-in, the percentages and the methodology. They wanted, they, they, they wanted intangibles to have indefinite life. Right, like don't we all? So it was it was really difficult. Like you know, they, they don't budge. So what I learned is that they are going to challenge your position, regardless what it is, regardless how well it's documented, regardless how much you pay to the advisors or whatever. 
So there will be challenging it. So then the question is, like, where do you settle? Or do you have a reasonable basis? So whenever everybody asks, like, what, you know, what, how, how are you going to handle it? Do you trust so-and-so? But I'm like, well, it's just going to be challenged anyway. So just prepare your, your best. If you don't have anything, that's a different story. But if you do have a robust study, like you guys provide me a robust study, so we, we, I think I'll be fine, at least from the, you know, from the get-go. That's one. And then the second one I wanted to say is for Autodesk, we also had a pretty good study similar to, although the combination, there was a combination of benchmarking was um, ran, prepared by a big four, and then we, we internally, myself and some other teammates, rolled the report forward, the report was comprised over the years, and we would update that part, like with financials, with, uh, you know, 10K figures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the areas reviewed it, and they didn't have any adjustments, surprisingly. Yeah, but that was pretty, pretty straightforward, cost plus transaction. And tell us about these processes. What did this add to your day-to-day tasks? Pretty much to lawyers, yeah, to lawyers and looking at um, – comparables and just researching things, just all, all depending on uh, idea questions that IRS asked. But um, yeah, pretty much lawyers. And Katia, what is that like? I know typically the IRS and tax authorities show up a few years later with charges against documentation you weren't around to prepare. Is that the case? Yeah, that's the case. And how do you work with that? That almost sounds like you're getting in the mind of your predecessor. Yeah, just read old memos. Mm-hmm. Look in the rules and trying to piece together. Does that make sense? What position was taken? Yes. And then getting more support. Right. Support, yeah, from the from the auditors or tax advisors. And how much of your time did that take? Quite a bit, and, but it also depends. You know, like that question uh, makes sense in the context. Like if I if I'm 100% focused on the issue, and that's all. That's just what I, my job is, that's 100%, right? Whereas if I have to manage and coordinate, that's probably less. I mean, that's definitely less by nature. So you basically had to prepare for the audits, but also take care of day-to-day transfer pricing operations. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a juggle. And how costly is it typically? In terms of advisor fees or in terms of what, what uh, specifically? In terms of advisor fees, in terms of... Exactly. They charge you, what, like 500 bucks an hour? Y- yeah, basically. Or depending on the issue, right? If it's international tax, it's 1000 bucks an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very expensive. Fixing issues are a lot more expensive than doing it the right way. And that's another thing I'm constantly trying to relate to the management. Yes, yes, yes. Because when issue, when, before issue arises, uh, you want to, or once you have an issue or your transaction, you want to do your best documenting it and resolving it or, you know, putting putting things in place to justify a position. If it's not done the right way and then there's an issue later, it's going to cost a lot more. And what did you learn from that experience? Um, what did I learn? Have your docs ready and step-by-step document it as you go. Don't, don't push it out. L- listen to little voices. That's my... Intention for this month. <laughs> yeah, if you think you need to cross that T, you should do it. Do it right away. Yes, yes. The, do it right the, away. The other golden rule, I, I do believe. Uh, you've had a lot of interesting tax experience in multinational companies. What stands out the most? I really like my, my work now, what I'm doing, because I think um, Google was awesome, but I was pretty early in my career. 
So I couldn't fully engage and I couldn't fully understand the excitement and complexity of the issues. Here I feel like uh, because I have all that background and knowledge and the issues are new and complex, I'm most actualized in the current skill set. And I have ability and um, confidence to deal with challenging cross-border issues and provide value. Uh, yeah, because at the end of the day, tech uh, impacts the bottom line um, and business and decisions materially, and I like I, I like that, the whole combination of those factors. So uh, if you were going to give advice to another multinational company about transfer pricing, what would it be? I would say hire, hire cross-border or <laughs> get your ducks in a row. <laughs> get your ducks in a row and fix those inner companies. So one, one of the major issues that I'm dealing right now is unsettled intercompany balances that have been historically accumulating, and they're just there. And, every, and I had uh, five statutory audits in Europe, and every single time they asked me to confirm the balances and reconcile them. And that's like, and I, I just talked to a colleague, he has the same issue. So transfer pricing is a big deal. People don't consider it. Companies don't consider it uh, if they don't have um, background and text people. And then it just kind of snowballs. And how do you make other people at TradeShift understand how important transfer pricing is? Uh, it's it's the same process, you know. You you quantify the exposure. You um, just people are aware of that. It's one of the main items that's holding up the audit, so they can't close the statutory audit, et cetera, et cetera. So just educating them, educating them, and showing them. And that brings yeah. things back around to trade shift. What are your biggest concerns for the immediate future? I would like to working hard on putting systems in place so we can scale a business, show the footprint grow, automate in a company accounting, transfer pricing processes, and streamline, simplify our IP holding structure. And how would you like to simplify it? Well, I don't want to disclose too many details because we're still private, but of basically course. move, yeah, move IP around so it's more aligned with our other practices, like accounting practices, cash, cash, uh, practices. And just given your experience in dealing with jurisdictions that are now considering a unilateral approach to this issue, but what are your feelings on the digital services tax? So that question could be answered in, in different ways. I think from the risk perspective, there is, uh, and from the legi legislative uh, tax change law perspective, there has been a lot of changes where they're not positive for tech companies, you know, like um, digital or virtual P permanent establishment issues. So I, I'm hoping that the governments of the world can find ways to work together together instead of each jurisdiction taxing, um, you know, in, in different ways. Yeah, so I'm hoping that uh, we can all, the governments and the world can work together. We can all, and the companies and the businesses can work together to come up with some kind of solution. Because, for example, uh, just in April, there was this new UK IP tax where IP, that's, uh, where all UK sales, direct and indirect, related to offshore-held IP in a tax haven, um, are taxed automatically, 20%, attract 20% tax on gross sales. I mean, really, so there's there's one more tax. So all those little things, in addition to sales tax and, you know, virtual PE tax that Europe is considering um, trying to, you know, tax 
tech companies, which makes it more difficult to operate in this environment. That's from the risk perspective. But then on the flip side, uh, digital changes to digital and online and cloud and automation is definitely a positive. Um, I would hope that I can use the tools, um, like business intelligence tools, to to be able to um, analyze my data better as opposed to doing Excel. Um, I don't think TradeShift is in the stage yet, but we're definitely growing, so I'm being on the lookout for those. We're definitely having product like yours help quite a bit. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. Sounds like a plan, Katya. Thank you so much for sharing your real-life transfer pricing experience and giving us insight as to what multinational digital companies are up against. It's not easy, is it? Now comes the time for my favorite segment of the show, which is a rapid-fire round of questions we like to call What We Want to Know. Um, and you're in the hot seat for this episode, of course. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> That's our first question. What is the dream job you'd love to try? I am right where I want to be. <laughs> I love tech. No, no astronaut, no, no, uh, no cannonball, no, no. fiery. Okay, no, I understand. Uh, what is your biggest everyday challenge? Balance my work, family, and myself, my life. Just finding the balance is the hardest thing. Uh, I'm with you right there. What strategies do you use to motivate staff? Uh, I'd say I'm empathetic. I listen. And I always try to provide an extra background on the ask. Because they want to learn. They want to feel connected. So I try to encourage and empower. Yeah. And, and if your friends had to describe you in three words or less, what would they be? I'd say engaged. Candid and family-oriented. And if your staff described you in three words or less, what would they be? Um, I have integrity. I have common sense. And then I also have compassion to grow myself and others. Well, one can only hope, but as someone who has met you personally, at least at the, the last Sarasota Summit, I can, I can at least attest to a few of those right off the bat. Well, that's just about it for today. Thank you so much for being with us here, Katya, and thank you for sharing such interesting transfer pricing experiences. If you like what you hear and you're hoping to hear even more, subscribe to The Fiona Show on iTunes and Spotify. While you're there, be sure to check out our new spinoff podcast, The Fiona Show, Hot off the press, where we deliver the latest game-changing transfer pricing news. Until next time, this is Matthew DeMello signing off. See ya.